Imagine a woman walking slowly, completely distractedly, into the first courtyard of Herod's temple, the court of the women. It is the evening of the Shabbat after Passover. The courtyard is full of worshipers, travelers, Passover observants, busy priests. The high walls echo with the sound of thousands of voices. Outside the temple, dusk is descending over the city. Dinners are being prepared. Children play in the streets. It is the ending of a normal day in everyone's life. The woman we are following stops in the center of the courtyard. She closes her eyes as the people move and swirl around her. She is trying to stave off weeping in this public place. What is the cause of her emotion on this Saturday night? The fact that just yesterday, just outside the city walls, the man she thought was Messiah was executed by death on a cross. He was condemned by the very religious authorities also in charge of this very temple. He was convicted by the governor of the land, Pontius Pilate. He was unduly savaged by the same Roman soldiers that you see just walking the streets. He was assailed, abused, mocked by average people like the ones currently walking around these temple courts. In the end, he was only honored by one of his male followers. All the rest were his faithful female friends, including the woman now standing here, fighting off tears. She cannot shake the look of him uh, hanging limp against the nails. He, who was so powerful, so wonderful, dead. Over in one of the alcoves, shaded from the glare of the lowering sun, stands a priest whose job is the reading aloud of the sacred scrolls. This evening, he takes his position and begins his reading over the din of the courtyard. From the scroll of Isaiah, this is what he reads. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. The woman we are observing does not immediately notice the sound of this priest's voice. His reading, uh, she doesn't register the words from what we would call Isaiah 25. Until, just a few stanzas later, the sound of his voice, the import of his words, suddenly breaks through to her. She is utterly arrested by the words that follow. 
On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, a veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Suddenly, the woman knows exactly what she must do. For she has remembered from shortly after the Lord had set her free of her own spiritual bondage, that so-called sinful woman who had come and scandalized everyone by anointing Jesus. Then, too, she thinks of that sister of Lazarus, also known as Mary, a woman of high respectability, who had done the same thing for him just one week ago tonight. Yes, she will do the same for him, even as he is now. She will go to the market and get the spices for anointing his body. She, one last time, will praise his name, for he has done wonderful things for her. He who was the one who wiped away the tears from her face, the reproach laid upon her. She rushes out of the temple, out of its courts. No one in the milling crowds had ever even noticed her. The next morning, the city silent, this woman rises from her sleep in a room crowded with people, gathers those spices, and goes quietly out the door of that upper room. She moves carefully down the outside stairs of the house and then turns left at the street that runs directly across its front door. She walks swiftly through the hushed city streets. The air is cool, the sun still behind the olive mount. At the city wall, she passes through the gate and up the road, skirting the lower edge of the hilltop where he died. She averts her eyes from seeing it again. One of the crosses, empty, has been left overnight upright, a Roman reminder to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. She follows the way she'd seen those two, uh, Joseph and Nicodemus, go. She takes the same path they'd taken, carrying the body. The trail drops down and then winds its way through denser uh, trees, shrubs, stands of flowers, until it straightens toward the tomb. She is very nearly there now. A mist hugs the ground around her, gray and still. She rounds the bend at a great spreading olive tree she remembers before the straightaway, and then... Oh! 
ahead. Partially shrouded by the morning mist, still unlit by the not-yet-risen sun, gapes the mouth of the tomb open. Its blackness yawns against the gray of the rock in which it was carved. The ceiling stone is off to the right, rolled away. She drops her armful of oils and spices in the dirt and runs as fast as she is able back to the city, back through its streets, back to that upper room. On the upper landing, she runs into two of the closest friends of the teacher, John Barzebedee and Simon, who is called Peter. She tells them exactly what she saw in the burial garden. They look at each other and then dash off. She tries to keep up with their run, but they are too fast. So she retraces her steps as quickly as she can. She is nearly to that olive tree before the final straightaway when Simon Peter and John walk back past her. They're both in a strange sort of daze. They ignore her. She studies their faces, the look in their eyes. Simon Peter's eyes are welling with great tears. He is looking off to the east, blinking his eyes against the rising sun. But John's face is alight with a strange laughter. The two men pass without saying a word. She decides to move closer. She approaches the tomb. Tears begin to rise in her eyes. The smell of the tomb, cold and dank, greets her. She squints her eyes, stoops, looking inside. Oh! What? Inside, in the dark of the tomb, yet somehow seemingly lit up by a warm, soft light, there are a pair of men. They sit toward the rear of the tomb, one on either side of the burial bench, and they greet her fear with smiles. Woman, one asks her, why do you cry? She hardly knows how to respond. I, I, I cry because my Lord was buried here and now he's gone. Where, where, have they, where have you put him? She hears the scuff of a sandal in the dirt, but behind her. Frightened again, she wheels away from the tomb and, and, and turns to face a figure standing there behind her. He is silhouetted by the light of the rising sun. She cannot see his face. Woman, he says to her, with a voice clearly accompanied by a smile. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She doesn't answer his question directly. She is suddenly almost annoyed by all of this. Sir, she says, if you have carried his body away, please tell me to where, and I will come and retrieve it. There is the longest pause in the history of Mary Magdalene's life. 
The figure stands still, regarding her. She can hear his breathing across the distance between them. Then, stepping forward, the light shifting, the silhouette fading from his countenance, his voice matches the moment when her eyes suddenly see his face. And Jesus says to her, Mary. Mary. 